Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I cried several times on the phone just out of frustration. A backlog in unemployment claims, an aging mainframe, and an overwhelmed call center. Why aren't these individuals that you're calling trained properly to give you the proper information? Now the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development is looking back on what went wrong and the solution it believes lies in $80 million worth of modernizations. Plus, I feel I've got too much on the line to sell to an underage person. A legal gap putting Wisconsin out of step with the rest of the country when it comes to tobacco. We don't have an enforcement mechanism to hold them accountable. What law enforcement wants politicians to do about it. And of course, the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions for the first time in 50 years. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined by Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hello, Brian. Go Bucks. And we also have producer Pete joining us for the podcast this week. Hey, Pete. How you guys doing? So we are recording this episode on Wednesday, July 21st for release on Thursday, July 22nd. And by the time you hear this episode, the Milwaukee Bucks victory parade will most likely be either well underway we're already over in the championship celebration going on downtown as well. Jenna, what a week it has been for the city of Milwaukee. It has been so exciting to watch. And I think the series was really interesting and entertaining. The game, the final game was really close the whole time. Giannis had such a good game. And I was just so excited, even watching at home on my couch in my pajamas, watching that camera pan over the big crowd in the Deer District. It just made me really proud that we had such a turnout downtown and such great fans who wanted to go and be close to it. You were one of them, right, Brian? You were downtown? Yeah, I, I spent actually the afternoon down there, and then I uh, and ended up, uh, a friend of mine, I had a friend, I don't have connections like this, but I had a friend who apparently had connections and had a reserved table at a place called Loaded Slate, which is connected to the Deer District. So we got to be inside for the game itself, but I spent several hours in the Deer District just milling about because it was such a spectacular gathering, and the the whole vibe of what was going on around Fiserv, the Deer District, and then the parking lots north and south of Fiserv, which they set up stages and more big screens. It was such a large area that early in the afternoon, I remember thinking, they've made it so big now it won't have that same compact feel, but instead... Even those spaces filled up, and it was just gigantic. It was, uh, if you've seen any of the aerial shots, and I'm sure you have some of the really high up ones, it's just this sort of sea of humanity. But to think that was happening in our so-called terrible city of Milwaukee, this little place, uh, boy, it really, I guess Milwaukee really showed the world. 
Is that a uh, Stephen A. Smith? Uh... Well, interestingly, Stephen A. Smith's gotten a lot of heat for saying he didn't actually call Milwaukee a terrible city. He just didn't disagree when one of the other hosts of ESPN's first take, uh, Molly Kiram Rose, was the one who said she didn't want to go because the finals were just going to be in terrible cities this year. And then he said he wanted nothing to do with coming here either. But but yeah, so he, he's had to eat those words, I think, a little bit because uh, the weather was fantastic. And that was his big complaint. He said it would be too cold. It was spectacular on Tuesday. It's July. That makes absolutely no sense. Did you watch it with your sons, Pete? I did. I did. They were very excited. They were a little upset that Daddy could not afford a ticket to this game uh, at whatever thousands of dollars it was. They need to mow a few more lawns to get one of those tickets. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We did go to a game right at the tail end of all the big restrictions when we were separated. They had three or four rows between each family. Uh, That was probably in mid-May, early May. And they were very excited. So I did tell them, I said, you know, you guys got to see a championship team in person. When you get to be an old man, you will get to, you will get to tell your kids that you actually saw that team play. So they kind of felt that, that you know, that's a dad's uh, uh, compromise, right? So, uh, but they were very happy about the win. Now we got to go hunt for T-shirts and, and they're waiting on the parade. And so... Uh, That'll be fun. It was uh, definitely an experience no matter where you were, whether you were home in your pajamas, whether you were with your kids in the middle of that sea of people at the Deer District. I think everyone will remember where they were when the Bucks won their first championship in 50 years. So that was pretty special. Now, speaking of things that have been, you know, people have been working hard on, the Bucks have been working hard on this championship. Jenna, you've been working hard on a lot of contact six pieces recently. That's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. And the first one is uh, something that, we all remember talking about, we talked a lot about on this podcast in 2020, was all of the backlogs of unemployment claims uh, because of the pandemic. And that really raised some issues about a lot of things, staffing, the computer system, and other things. And here we are a year and a half later, uh, well, a year and a half since the pandemic began. And, and I'm just, I know you received at Contact Six a lot of complaints. I'm really wondering... We know it got very bad. How bad did it get? And are you still getting complaints about unemployment? Well, yes, we are still getting complaints about unemployment. And we really saw this story as an opportunity to look back at some of the problems that have arisen, the problems that persist, and what is being done or what DWD wants to do to eliminate these problems moving forward. So we we interviewed Secretary-Designee Amy Pahacek for this story. She took over in September, and she says at that time there were 770,000 pending claims. So that's an idea of how bad it got. She said those were largely... uh, She said those were largely cleared by the end of the year, but she acknowledges DWD was very overwhelmed by a massive influx in claims that happened when the pandemic arrived. She said to call it an avalanche of claims would be an understatement. It was the equivalent of what was four and a half years of work in one year. Now, the people who had the biggest issues were the ones whose claims went into adjudication because their benefits ended up being held up for several months in some cases, and they were frustrated because they knew coworkers whose claims were being approved much more promptly, and that was frustrating to them as was their inability to communicate with DWD. There was an audit done that found more than 90% of calls to DWD's call center between March and July of 2020 were either blocked or people got a busy signal. That amounted to 40 million calls. So the call center 
was clearly overwhelmed. It could only be open limited hours during the day and real-time information wasn't available to the people taking calls, which led to complaints about customer service. So there was a log jam, there were breakdowns in areas, and some of those issues persist. Yes, we're still getting complaints about DWD taking long to process some claims. Obviously with the call center stuff, they could increase staffing. They just, in some ways, just needed more people to field those calls. That's one of the issues. Is that really the problem that slowed things down, or what were some of the other big things that were slowing down the process? Well, it wasn't just a staffing issue at the call center. They did um, increase the number of people answering calls, but they were limited in some ways because because of the way their mainframe at DWD, which I'm sure we'll get to the mainframe issues in a bit, because of the way their mainframe does batch processing of claims, it, the call center could only be open a few hours a day. Now, DWD currently has a vendor under contract for a full call center modernization project, and DWD hopes that will be up and running with a new call center in September. They hope to have 24-7 access, 365 days a year, and more access to real-time information. And they also say this new system will have better metrics for measuring employee performance to see if that improves things. Uh, so that is one thing they're hoping to do. But yes, it was an issue of not having access to the most up-to-date information because of a complicated mainframe system, an antiquated system, and limited hours that they could be open. Is this part of, uh, Jenna, them kicking the can down the road a little bit? Because we all know if we have older equipment and we know we have to replace it, but we kind of ride it out, you know, I'm thinking of like, I did the same thing with my tires last year on my car, right? Right before <laughs> the season changed. So is that is that a little bit about what's going on here with, with the mainframe? I think you could say that. So it turns out what we learned from this happening is that DWD is administering claims on a 50-year-old mainframe, and it basically looks like it's out of the 1970s, 1980s. It's the black screen with the green blinking cursor, and it's not necessarily bad because it's old. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work, but they did an online demonstration showing that the use of that program is slow and cumbersome. It involves opening and closing several screens inputting information multiple times, navigating several screens to process one claim. So they're saying that process is cumbersome and it just slows things down. So what they've done is they put out an RFP, which is a request for proposal, basically saying they're seeking bids to do a full-scale modernization to completely transform their UI system and their mainframe. But this is something that could take years and they will need to secure the money for that. You know, you're talking about this being a 50-year-old computer system, and it struck me because of the Bucks winning their first championship in 50 years. We look back at 1971 and think of like just what the game of basketball looked like in 1971 and the fact that there wasn't a three-point line in 1971. A lot has changed in the game of basketball and the way we consume it, the way we see it, the way we track it, the, the apps on our phones – a lot has changed with computers, and I'm sure in mainframes, it seems like that there's no way that couldn't be in some way or another holding back this system. That's the argument they're making. They want to bring someone in to assess their entire system, how they process claims, and to point out their biggest pain points so that they can make sure they don't have an issue like this again, and so they can fix some of the issues that are still persisting. They have addressed 
some issues so far with the claims portal. This is what the people filing claims encounter because there were a number of issues with that as well. There were issues uploading documents if you needed to send proof of eligibility, for example, you either had to send it in the mail or by fax, and that's just a longer process than being able to upload documents directly to their website. So they have addressed that so far. But another issue they had with the portal was there was no way to message DWD directly or securely by text or email. And they have given the claim system portal a facelift so that you can now do that. And another big problem they had and they have worked on is the application itself. It was long, it was confusing and cumbersome, and it led to people seeing all this text and all this legal jargon and accidentally entering the wrong information because they were confused, which led to things going to adjudicators and just taking more time. So they hired a vendor to rewrite the application, remove a lot of that jargon, that confusing language, and now they believe their application is easier to understand. But if your claim goes to an adjudicator now, it's still going to take at least two weeks to get to an adjudicator. And they say they're trying to do things as efficiently as possible from then on, but that's where things are still continuing to lead to complaints to us at least with uh, slow claims processing. Jenna, one of the things that struck me a moment ago is you said, uh, I talked about it, it seems there's no way that couldn't hold them back. And you said that's the case they're making. And I do wonder, is there another viewpoint on this? Are there others saying, ah, oh, your computer system's just fine. That's not the problem. That's very possible. I wasn't able to find those people for my report in IT. Uh, but I think you could make an argument that it's, that it's the people, the way they're using it, rather than the technology. I did speak with an attorney for this story who specializes in unemployment claims. And he was saying that he believed on its face, the system itself and how old it is isn't necessarily the problem. He thinks there are bigger issues than that. And he continues to hear from people every week who are still struggling with DWD. So he thinks there are issues bigger than just an old mainframe. If they do upgrade it, I imagine cost is obviously a factor. How much would this cost and and where's that money going to come from? So DWD and Governor Evers asked for $80 million in their biennial budget to modernize the system, do these things that we've discussed today. The governor held a special session in February where they addressed the reasons for that and that money was removed from the budget. So it's not coming from the state. So Amy Pahachek says they're looking at federal sources for that money now. When I asked her if they're going to be able to find that money, she said she's confident they will. And she believes they can find that funding from the federal government. She specifically mentioned the American Rescue Plan Act, saying that is going to be providing money to all the states. So we'll have to wait and see if her confidence is rewarded, if, if we are able to get that money to make these modernizations, because it is not coming in the state's biennial budget. Do you know, and this may be putting on the spot, how Wisconsin ranks with other states with this same problem? I mean, does is it dire enough in Wisconsin where they know they would get the money, or is that is it too early to tell? I'm not sure I can answer that question. I know we're not the only state that struggled with unemployment issues because in past stories I've done, I've had to speak with other states who are having similar issues with backlogs and fraud and all sorts of issues that Wisconsin encountered. But I can't say for sure if they're using the same mainframe as we are. So we don't know if this is a common problem that a lot of states, I I know that it's not unusual sometimes in government to have very old computer systems because 
complete overhaul sometimes raise security issues. Obviously, they cost a lot of money. Um, so, But you don't know for sure if those other states that have had struggles are dealing with the com- same computer issues necessarily. I can't say with confidence that I compared them to other states, so I wouldn't want to say it here. One of the other stories we want to talk about today is a conflict in the law, in fact, that is affecting the state of Wisconsin right now in terms of the legal age for buying tobacco. State law says one thing. Federal law says something else. What's going on with that? This started in February, actually December 2019. The federal minimum age changed. It used to be 18. It became 21. So the federal minimum age for selling tobacco products like cigarettes, cigars, and vape, it changed largely in response to the vaping epidemic. And that was signed by then President Trump. It was actually a surprise at the time to a lot of people who sell these products because it was added into the budget. They knew that this had been in discussion for some time to raise the federal minimum age from 18 to 21, but they didn't know that it was eminent. And it took people who sell tobacco by surprise, but it also took law enforcement by surprise because local police uphold state laws, not federal ones. And the state's legal age here in Wisconsin for buying tobacco has not changed. Our written law still says that the legal age of purchase is 18 for tobacco in Wisconsin. It doesn't mean that it's legal in in, uh, our state. It just means that there's no enforcement mechanism to hold these stores accountable if they sell to someone under the age of 21, at least as far as local law enforcement goes. There's a conflict in the law. I believe, as you pointed out in your story, if you actually had a store or a retailer who was selling tobacco to an 18-year-old, even though that's against the law because of the federal law, the police officer could stand there and witness it happening and couldn't do anything about it, right? Right. We asked the uh, president of the Wisconsin Chiefs of Police Association whether they could do anything in that situation. He said, no, they have no authority. So that association has been asking lawmakers to bring Wisconsin's law in line with the federal law to close that enforcement gap, rewrite Wisconsin's law so that it is now 21. And lawmakers have answered that call. Representative John Spiros has authored a bill to do that. It does have bipartisan support and it would have probably passed last session, but COVID complicated things. Um, But Spiros says he partly thinks raising the age is a good thing because of the vaping epidemic, but he also thinks that the state stands to lose a lot of money if they don't do it. $2.7 million annually in federal funds if they don't bring Wisconsin's law in alignment with the federal law. So that's factoring in as well. If police can't enforce this, the question we asked was, who can? And I guess you could say it's up to businesses to police themselves, but also it's up to the FDA to do compliance checks. And we found looking at an online database that compliance checks largely stopped when the coronavirus arrived. And during the pandemic, the FDA issued a partial stop work order to its partners who were doing these checks. And it says it's working to resume tobacco compliance checks. But right now, there's really no one policing this aside from the retailers themselves. You know, I think about this, Jenna, that I spent a few days over the past few weeks down at the Deer District and 
it, it, you don't see a whole lot of people smoking cigarettes. You don't see people smoking cigars, but there are an awful lot of people vaping. And, and you mentioned that, that that was one of the reasons for the raising of the federal age. That seems to be one of the driving forces behind that. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, you could argue it is the driving force, because if you talk to anyone who is fighting tobacco these days, they will say that vaping is the main issue here because people who are in high school, I guess you could say teenagers uh, under the age of 21, their introduction to tobacco is vape now. It's usually not cigarettes. It's a lot more appealing to them. It comes in fruity flavors. It doesn't smell. And we know from our previous reports that high schools, even middle schools have been having a lot of issues reigning in the vaping epidemic. So that's a big reason that the federal law changed. And it's it's evident when you read the Wisconsin bill as well, that they have crossed out and added vaping products, references to vaping several times in there to uh, really address the issue of vape and the hold it has taken in popularity they have seen among young people. Well, this difference between the laws leaves one question, which is, if the law is 18 in in Wisconsin and 21 at the federal level, but police can't enforce it, is there any need to enforce it? And I guess that uh, better way of asking that is, are there a lot of stores that are selling tobacco products to people under the age of 21? Well, we spoke with Yuli Tobacco Company for this story, and the owner said, you know what, no matter what, you'll probably still find a store that will sell to an 18-year-old. You'll probably find a store that'll sell to a 15-year-old. They do exist. And we looked for some data on this, and we found that in the first three months of 2020, before compliance checks halted, the FDA issued its decisions on tobacco inspections in the city of Milwaukee. So it found 32% of the time retailers in Milwaukee sold to an underage person. Now, that could have been when the law was 18. It could have been when the law was 21. But it shows that those retailers were willing or willing to look the other way or not check IDs for an underage person. Statewide, retailers sold to an underage person 16% of the time. So it happened more often in Milwaukee. It did. And, you know, often I noticed that these weren't big, well-known places, places that have, you know, um, that, that have deep roots in the community, often they're corner stores or gas stations, and maybe that they, they don't sell only vape products. They just have some cigarettes among all the other things that they sell. But it seemed like a lot of those smaller businesses were the ones with the most violations. Well, it seems like that's about as good a time as any for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal, have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And this week, of course, we have producer Pete in to ask us that question. Pete, what do you have for us? So here's my question. The Bucks win their, their championship ring or their championship and they get, they get a ring. They go to the president to hang out. Giannis has uh, a brother that has a ring, right, on his team. Then he has another brother that won a ring with the Lakers. Here's my question. At their Thanksgiving dinner, they're all brothers, and you know Giannis is very nice and humble, but you know how brothers are. Brothers and sisters rib each other. What is the conversation going to be at Thanksgiving dinner about who has the best championship ring? I don't think that's going to be a hard one because I think, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I say that because I, what, what is so interesting, they're obviously an incredibly 
athletically talented family. And, and my wife and I were talking about this last night. I, you know, I came home. It is one o'clock in the morning, so I guess it was this morning. Uh, and it's such an amazing family. But when, when, uh, and I forget the name of the brother that plays for the Lakers. I've already forgot his first name. Uh, but when he won his ring with the Lakers, you didn't hear or didn't sense that Giannis was bitter. Um, you know, he was, he was, and, and he just has that kind of, he see, has that kind of personality where he's positive and he's got a great sense of humor and he's humble and, uh, obviously driven and determined and extremely competitive, but, and I'm sure there's gotta have been competition among them. Um, but I don't sense that he would be the kind who would have made them feel bad about their rings. So I think they're probably pretty happy for, uh, for, for Giannis. I would think that it would be an awfully, uh, uh, awfully good Thanksgiving. An awfully good Thanksgiving and, and a uh, probably a, a shiny Thanksgiving with a lot of bling, as it were. Huh? Can you pass the potatoes with this diamond in my way? Yeah. Well, and sometimes when the, when the answer is so obvious, right, he's obviously the biggest star in, in basketball, not just his own family. But I did notice in the post-game ceremony last night, he was asked about his brothers and he cheered and got so excited thinking about his brothers also having rings. And I thought that was probably a really good indication of what the family was like. You know, he was just so excited about his brothers having rings too. And if they're anything like other families, they're probably not even talking about themselves. They're probably talking about their kids (laughs) at their table or something else because they seem very family-centric. And I remember watching, what was it, 60 Minutes? Were they the ones that did that story on Giannis? several years ago and that was a lot of people's introduction to him and he was talking about how he lived with his mother and he lived with his brother and and his girlfriend in the same place so they're obviously a really strong unit i think they lived in a two-bedroom apartment yeah it was it wasn't enough space there for all of them especially as big as he is yeah yeah i remember watching that and i think that's amazing to some people that you know he was this huge star but he was still you know willing to live that close with his family so you have to get along and value each other so much in that situation. Although I have to, I have to admit though. I mean, I, you know, I remember when I was growing up, just playing like you know street basketball. We had a basketball hoop that came up right to the to the street outside our house, and you, street basketball. The kids, if if the other kids in the neighborhood beat me, it was one thing. If my brother did, that was tougher to take. And you know, I was going to be a little more. I, if, there's got to be competition among them. You're going to hear there about it. Been, yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, imagine being and I don't know all their names. I'm sure a lot of people who are such fans of his, they know all the names of the Anacompo kids. But imagine being like the fifth best athlete out of those five. Like you're like, I am nowhere close to, you know, the MVP, but you're probably still a really good athlete. As you know, it kind of reminds you of Michael Jordan and his brother, right? His brother was supposed to be as good. He just wasn't as tall. And that drove Jordan to be as good as he was. Right. Because of the brotherly competition. So, you know, they probably have a little bit of that, I'm sure. What really struck me was reading uh, or watching an old video of his when he was still in, in uh, playing in a Greek league and, and there was an interview with him that's been going around social media uh, here in the last week or so where Giannis is asked a little bit about his game and, and so on. And, and he talks about how he started playing basketball in 2008. And I thought, 2008? He started playing basketball 13 years ago. And and I I had actually put a put out a, a a comment on social media of my own saying that if you really think about it that was the year Aaron Rodgers took over the starting job as the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers Giannis was just starting basketball and he is now someone with the resume that he has and on top of that a championship it's pretty incredible 
to think of, of how quickly he's risen. When you bring that up, it, the the nuances of the game that you like, you look at a Kobe whose dad played pro, professional basketball, so he had some of the nuances down that would take years to learn, right? And this guy just picked up a basketball in 2008 and is already a world champion, and he probably doesn't know everything he's going to know in the next five years. It's just scary talent. We didn't draft him that long after that, I feel. He probably was only playing a few years before we drafted him. I was I was actually in the newsroom the night we drafted him, and the email came out, and everybody went, how do you say that? <laughs> like, what's so, his name? How do you say his name? So, I, what? So we're all, like, guessing how to pronounce his last name, and they're making all these calls. I'm going to out my wife here because uh, she'd kill me if she listens to this podcast, but uh, my stepson is a huge fan of the Bucks, huge, huge, huge fan of the Bucks, and and uh, and his mom has sort of, you know, enjoyed watching in the background, but she'll do other things, And but so she didn't really know Giannis very well, and, and throughout this playoff run, we've talked a lot about him, and, and so she kept trying, she'd look at his name, and she kept saying, so it's on to... to and and she and the first time I thought well she'll pick it up quickly. Three weeks later she was still going. So on to to yeah it's on to Just say it fast. Just say it fast. And and so but so she was just introduced. But you know he he's she's so impressed by him now. She's obviously a fan for life. Yeah, he's a really cool guy and easy to get behind. I mean, as the star of your team, you really can't ask for a, a much better leader for your team. Like he's humble. He's just so likable. That's that's always nice when you actually like your players as people. Well, speaking of likable people, producer Pete, we're glad to have you back on the podcast this week. Thanks for asking the question. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to ask a, or have a question that uh, you'd like to hear on our Off the Record segment or if there's a topic that you would like to suggest we discuss on the podcast, an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox6investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thanks once again for joining us on the podcast. You bet. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. As you heard, producer Pete, of course, our editor, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and executive producer, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>